welcome to the culture of truth this is a podcast that reviews the truth of god's word and discusses the influence it has on our lives and worldview my name is rob greer and today i have with me my good friend jeff amstis hey there everybody in this episode we continue in our brief series on god's incommunicable attributes found in chapter 11 of wayne grudem's book systematic theology Today, we'll be focusing on God's unchangeableness and what that means for us. What we look to gain from this study is to grow our understanding of how God is so much different from us, which grows our reverence and awe of him. Let's do a quick check-in before we dive into the doctrine summary and discussion. Jeff, how have you experienced God's truth this week? Yeah, we're recording this episode on a Saturday, which means our Bible study group met just last night, and it was great to see God work in people's affections for him and their desire for community because uh, this was the first time we've actually met this year we've had to push for various reasons so this was our first meeting in 2022 and we just prayed and talked about what we want the group to look like over the next several months and this the rest of this year and it was very edifying and encouraging uh, to see people uh, have desire for community desire to engage god's truth desire to serve the church and so that was, I was just super encouraged by that. So seeing God work in other people's lives in our uh, small group was really cool. Praise God for that, man. Community is, it's crucial. Um, and speaking of community, my fiance and I are about to not only get married, but this next month, our, our big goal and hope is to jump into a community group together with our church and, and make sure that we're plugged in there. But you know, I, I don't have anything super specific this week, but I just want to say I'm super excited. I'm literally getting married in five days. Yeah, man. And Less I'm about to week. become a husband to my soon-to-be wife, and it's amazing. You know, I, I'm I'm thankful to God for the gift of, of marriage, and I'm pumped to have friends and family that are going to be there to, to witness the gospel on display and to really just see... Let's become one flesh. You know, I can't thank God enough for that and, and thank her for being willing to choose me. So Lord willing, when you hear this listener, Rob will be a married man. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. I'm super pumped. All right. Good stuff. So Jeff, can you introduce us to today's topic and what we're discussing? Yeah. In chapter 11, there are five incommunicable attributes, which incommunicable just means attributes of God that we really don't share in. So ways that he is not, that we are not like him. And this is the second one we're talking about is his unchangeableness, which is also known as his immutability. Um, and so the definition of that uh, is very important as we consider this uh, aspect of God's character. And Grudem defines it as God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and he does feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. And we see this with plenty of evidence in Scripture. Grudem uh, lists a couple of passages that make this super clear. Like I'll just read uh, Psalm 102, 25-27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like raiment, and they pass away but you are the same and your years have no end. Uh, he also mentions Malachi 3, 6, which says, for I, the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob are not to be consumed. 
Uh, and then the last one I'll just mention is James 1.17, when James is talking about uh, good gifts coming from God. It says in James, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we see that being really clear in scripture that, uh, and there's other passages too, that God does not change in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. And then there's also just to, to round out uh, that evidence in scripture, there's passages that talk about like all of God's plans and his sovereignty about how creation was to be made unfold and what its purposes are. Those predated uh, all of that and that his, his will is going to happen. So there are some questions though that come up and uh, Grudem addresses a few of them. Uh, one that's interesting is questions that come up if God changes his mind, uh, because there are some other passages uh, in scripture where God says, I will do something because of a reason. Uh, usually it's disobedience. And then what we do see, though, is the situation changes, not God changes, but rather we change as people. Uh, people, they repent and pray uh, to God. Uh, they repent of their sin. They pray for him to um, to not do something. Uh, they also, uh, we see that God in saying that in saying an intention, uh, that that is a way that he forms and changes people by saying his, his will is very important and is very, uh, his wrath is very deadly if, if you do not obey him. So it's actually his same purpose in creation for him to get glory it's good for him to state things like intentions like that. And then we also see the word regret being used to describe God's feeling or his displeasure with something like him regretting creating man when he's, when the narrative about the flood was coming out, uh, when, and Noah and him destroying humanity, uh, that he met that with regret and regret doesn't mean he didn't have a good purpose and that he couldn't have done it a different way. Um, mm -hmm. Regret just means that he had current displeasure with wanting or having to kill so many people uh, with the flood. And so that doesn't actually change God's being, uh, his perfections, purposes, and promises. And then lastly, Gurdum talks about God's impassibility as something that comes up and that God, uh, that, that would people talk about process theology, which we'll talk about a little bit, just basically says there's this conclusion that that essential part of being is your ability to change based on things happening. That is not something that uh, we see in scripture. Rather, there's like a poor translation of Acts 14, 15 that gets used as the basis of this. And um, just there's so many other pieces of scripture that says, no, God does feel emotions. He, he does have passions. He does participate in creation and that is somehow also not interfering with him, not being changeable. And so that that's something, an objection that comes to this uh, characteristic of God that uh, we want to reject based on very clear language in scripture that says God doesn't change. So the big takeaway from this is that despite our lives changing constantly and drastically, God does not change, and he is the most dependable being we can ever know. Thanks, Jeff. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, the doctrine of unchangeableness, is it's, it's very important for us. Um, it's, it's critical to understand God's character. The comforting thing, though, is that we'll never entirely know who God is, right? I mean, the fact that we can live with him for an eternity once we get, go to heaven and be with him we will still be learning about who he is. 
and we as finite creatures can sometimes put God in the frame of a human being and thinking that he's just like us. And, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is like, and you kind of hinted towards this is how might someone challenge this doctrine, right? So with the mention of impassibility, meaning that God doesn't have any emotions, like, what do you think about that, Jeff? Like hmm. God not having any emotions, does that mean to you anything specific? Well, what comes to mind uh, first uh, is that that's a, it's a very personal experience based outlook on life. Like this is how I feel. Therefore other beings must be the same way. Mm. So it's like a projection of, of a self conclusion onto someone else. And, uh, we call that deductive. Like I have a conclusion and I need to go figure out how to make sure that conclusion is provable to be correct. Uh, when we study the Bible, we should use induction, which says, let's just collect the evidence and then figure out what the conclusion should be. And so when we read scripture and we get so many passages that talk about God not changing, we see so many passages about his will being constant. Like you don't read scripture and come to this conclusion. I guess he can't feel anything. Well, that would be weird because there's passages of scripture talking about God feeling grieved or him rejoicing or him mm -hmm. uh, regretting things or just, like you, you can't say, I believe scripture to be inerrant, to be authoritative, and then be like, now nah, I'm just going to throw those out and say this other conclusion is true. Like yeah. it's just you, when I remember when we talked about the doctrine of scripture, always when scripture talks about, deals with issues of misunderstanding, it's always on the person understanding scripture is at fault. It doesn't mean that like scripture is telling us something wrong. It means we just are without good understanding yet. And we should pray to God to reveal us more and more of, uh, what is correct. And so this is one of those things of, I have a conclusion and it has to be true. Now I'm going to come to the Bible and figure out if it does or doesn't support that conclusion. And that's not good. Yeah. And, and that's good, Jeff. I'm, as I hear you say, God's character, or even just God's existence as this being that we can relate to yet are so much different then I, I'm reminded of our last episode talking about God's independence, where we even mentioned how we can relate to God and we relate to him as we read scripture through human terms. Mm -hmm. So you just mentioned some of those yeah. like uh, sorrow or grief or rejoicing. Those aren't just terms that belong to God. Those are terms that we can relate to him as human beings that make us understand him on a personal level, mm -hmm. which means if we can understand him on a personal level, we can have a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned a little bit with the part of just understanding God as potentially understanding God as someone who can change. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, a specific theologian by the name of Charles Hart's Hartshorn. This is mentioned in, um, this chapter or this specific section of the chapter. And basically what it's saying is a key part of genuine existence is change over time. Mm. If we look at certain parts of the scriptures, I mean, whether you want to mention Saul as a King or Moses coming down from the mountain and, you know, the people of Israel are worshiping a golden calf. And then next thing you know, God doesn't destroy them. Did he change his mind type thing? Like, 
What does that make you think of when you hear process theology, meaning a key part of genuine existence is change over time? Hmm. Yeah. What it to me is trying to to do is, is, okay, let me back up a little bit. I think when some objections are brought to scripture, uh, these objections are brought with loaded baggage. And what I mean by that is, if you have a pure heart that says, I just want to submit to what scripture says, then you don't get these crises. But often these crises come up to say, there's something I don't want to have to obey. There's something that I have to claim that I fully understand before I obey. Mm. And, and these are brought to the table to try to convince oneself that, you know, scripture is not inerrant or it's not authoritative. Uh, and so this, this notion of this conclusion of a key part of existence is change over time. Uh, to me, the interesting question is where did that come from? Yeah. Where, where is that conclusion rooted? Uh, it's a nice thought. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, philosophy, uh, philosophical thought, but it doesn't really, it, it's, it's not coming from the perspective of God saying, I'm revealing, I'm revealing to you what I want you to know in my word. And we all know that, um, that scripture does not conflict with itself. It, it scripture is, is to be taken as a whole. It's telling a narrative that God is telling, not what we are telling. And so to bring this to the table, it's like, okay, that's an interesting thought. Tell me, tell me where God's word told you that. Yeah. And I, the, the conclusion I come to is it didn't. That's a, here's a piece of logic that I came up with that made sense to me very strongly. Now I'm going to say the Bible has to respect my train of thought. This is a very deductive conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me that it just, it's rooted in probably objections of, I don't want to have to obey a book. Now I can think of a line of logic that convinces me I don't have to. Yeah. It's, I've heard this saying before. It's like you, you want to worship God, but fill in the blank, right? Yeah. You want to, obey God, but fill in the blank, right? Yeah. There's this thing called a straw man argument Mm -hmm. where you, you create a logical series of arguments that you are claiming your opponent. It it represents your opponent's perspective. And then you just easily tear it down. Yeah. Uh, and say, well, look, you, you, you lose. And it's like, you, you didn't even represent what my perspective is anyway. Uh, and to me, this is a bit of a straw man, um, argument to say, well, God, God's definition of the key part of existence is change over time. It's like, okay. Um, I don't think that's a conclusion that God's saying applies to him. So why are you saying he has to apply to it? Yeah. So I, it's funny guys. I was talking to to Jeff prior to starting this episode. And one of the things, and I kind of mentioned this earlier is like, what about these instances in scripture where, you know, God tells Moses, Hey, I'm going to destroy these people Mm -hmm. for worshiping created things rather than me as the creator. Yeah. And that's Romans one, by the way. Yeah. And, (laughs) and Moses literally prays, and the people repent and they turn away from that sin back to God or in, a, in an example where Saul becomes king and he's obviously someone who is not the most desirable guy in terms of 
wanting to be in that level of governance over people. What is, what do you think about when certain things happen, like certain circumstances happen that God acts differently? Does that Mm. mean God changes? Like, does he Mm. change his mind? Like, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So Grudem uh, makes a good argument here, um, or it makes a clear, concise argument on God acts the same in the same situations. Um, and so he'll, he can act differently in different situations. This doesn't change. Remember the definition. It doesn't change his being perfections, purposes, or promises. Mm-hmm. So for instance, uh, Rob and I are talking about, um, and I'll, I'll repeat it here. If you have a kid uh, and a parent and the, 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 the parent says you can't child jump on the couch and then guess what the kid's doing? Jumping on the couch. Yeah. If the parent says, I'm going to come spank you. What is the purpose of that spanking, that discipline, it is to get the child to understand you ought not to jump on the couch. And that's for your own good yeah. for multiple reasons. There's a primary reason of like, you could hurt yourself. And the other is you should obey your parent. And so if, if the parent says, I'm going to come spank you now. And the kid jumps off the, the, and get, or if the, the kid gets off the couch and says, you know what? I've been in the wrong. I really shouldn't be doing this. I am very sorry. Uh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And like makes it their primary objective to actually agree. Not just like not one of, not just wanting to avoid punishment, but the, I actually think I've been wrong. Would you please forgive me? Like the purpose of that punishment's actually been fulfilled already. Mm. And so if you were to then continue to spank, that's just you being angry. That's not actually you, uh, accepting the apology and repentance of the, of the child, the the parent. Obviously it's a very reduced and imperfect example, but the point being is like the purpose of God showing his wrath, uh, showing his judgment against sin is because he cannot tolerate sin. And so when people repent, uh, and they, they follow the sacrificial system, they, uh, change their to repent means to simply change your mind. So if you're like, Lord, I genuinely now agree with you that yes, I shouldn't be doing this. You are the only God I should worship, whatever. Then God's like, cool. The purpose of that discipline has been fulfilled. It's, been it's not his, his purpose didn't change. Um, and so that it's again, that definition is key being perfections, purposes, and promises is not like, if, if you say, hey, I'm going to go to the store today and get a gallon of milk. Like that's declaring an intention. Yeah. That is different than saying, Rob, I promise you before four o'clock, I'm going to go to HEB and buy a gallon of milk. <laughs> that's now that's now an oath that yeah. I'm going to go buy milk. Yeah. And so we even even as humans relating to humans mm-hmm. have a distinction of what is a declaration of intention and what is a promise or an oath. Yep. And, uh, like when we see the covenants or the promises made by God to people, those haven't changed. And those he has upheld in spades for all of, all of time uh, since they've been made. And those are not the same as these, like I'm declaring an intention based on a particular situation. And then when the situation changes, like the intention changes, Mm. that makes sense. Let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. That's right. Anything else in between is from the evil one. Mm. 
there's something I want to read real quick from systematic theology that I found just super helpful for me as I am digesting this and thinking through it. And what he's talking about is how God acted different based on the different circumstances. And one of the things he said was in relation to that, he said, it can instead imply that God's previous action led to events that in the short term caused him sorrow but that nonetheless in the long term would ultimately achieve his good purposes. This is really helpful to understand because it allows us to just better see that although God's character is unchanging, he can still respond differently in different situations and still be a God that doesn't change in his being, doesn't change in his purposes, doesn't change in his promises. And that's super helpful. Um, I, I want to, that made me think about the other half of when I was talking about process theology, um, I wanted to bring up cause I think it dovetails into that really, really, uh, closely that we as postmodern people, uh, very much, uh, think that our being is, is connected to how we feel like, man, how many people have you encountered on a daily basis, including yourself that, you feel like your being is enti- is in- intrinsically tied to you feeling good, bad, indifferent, super affected by a, a scenario, whatever it is that you say, Jeff is, that is what it means to be Jeff mm. is to be happy right now. Yeah. And that's just straight up false. Like <laughs> your emotions going up and down doesn't change who you are like intrinsically as a person, your value, uh, the definition of, um, of like your like identity is not just in how you feel. And so if we were, if, if we were to take that false, uh, idea, like for instance, let me just real quick say, let's take an aspect of identity. Like what family am I a part of? If you, if you love your parents or you hate your parents, if you know your parents deeply or, uh, you never like, maybe you never knew your parents ever. Mm. That doesn't change that you came from your parents. Yeah. Your identity. Like for me, my identity is I came from, uh, Ron and Joanne Amstutz. They are my parents. I never knew their names. That's cool. That's right. (laughs) And, uh, that's, that's who I come from. So if I'm really happy about them or really, really upset with them, those are changing emotions, but my identity doesn't change in that. Mm-hmm. And so when we think of identity in, in relationship to God, the fact that it's not tied to our emotions is a great thing that there's this idea of, I can feel good or bad and know that I am an adopted son of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. What a perfect transition because you're talking about emotions and feelings How does that actually make you feel (laughs) knowing that, you know, God is unchanging and that God's purposes are still going to be accomplished regardless of the circumstances? Yeah. It's to me, it's, it's the great leveler. Um, you know, Rob, you you should totally like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll give my, my side of it, which is when I feel really like head in the clouds, everything's going awesome. Hmm my faith actually brings me down to say, don't start worshiping those things yeah, because they're so good. 
you need to make sure you are worshiping God and being thankful for those things. Yeah. You can enjoy them. Just do not worship them. And in the same way, when things are terrible, it's remember you worship a God far greater than those terrible circumstances, whether it's my health or a relationship or a circumstance of a trial at my job that God disciplining me as his son, uh, he's doing it for my good to show him himself. My life verse is Romans five, three through five, which is we rejoice in our sufferings because in our sufferings produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. So good. And, and that, that, is coming from a God who doesn't change. He's actually going to use a changing circumstance around me <laughs> to show him more of how consistent he is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. And everything around you isn't. Yeah. He actually has to change the creation around me to show him his, or to reveal to me in a very much more deep way, how much he hasn't changed. Man, that's so good, Jeff. I think whenever I'm talk, talking about how this doctrine makes me feel it makes me just it makes me feel like there is nothing that can happen in my life that God doesn't have control of which makes me feel safe it Mm. makes me feel like I have nothing to worry about yeah and yet there are times that I still worry right yeah because I'm a human being I'm finite and I need God to intervene in those moments and remind me like even though you are going through some suffering, whether that's emotional or that's physical, like my promises to you and your identity because of what my son has done, like it doesn't change. And I think that in those moments, I need to be reminded that God is a, he's, he's stable. Yeah. Like the circumstance, even though in my eyes or in my heart and mind, it seems so big and, impossible sometimes to overcome it's like i have a god who can literally change the season with a snap of his finger and also bring into my life the opportunity to see more of how good he is in those circumstances that feel so impossible to get out of and so i think also it's important to remember like even when things are going good you know remain humble, right? Don't get too caught up in how good things are. You can enjoy them like you mentioned, but you don't want to elevate them to to the point that it becomes an idol or something that you worship above God. Mm. Um and that's key. So, man, I I I was just thinking about the definition as you were talking and uh like this is how it makes us feel. Like when you when you come to worship God, I know like how how it affects our worship is something we had written down as wanting to chat about. But like you said, when things are good or they're not, think about the definition of like this. God is unchanging in his being. So he is the creator of all. He is your heavenly father. Um, you think of his perfections. God is always perfectly, completely love and justice and, and wrath and mercy and, um, and glory he is the definition of the perfect of all of those and his purposes. Guess what his God has a lot of purposes that are mysterious to us, but there's one that's really clear. Those who he has called to be like Christ, he wants to make you more like Christ. Yeah. That purpose is undeniable. So get, get ready for that to happen in your life. And then in his promises, he has promised that those who trust in his son will be saved on the day of judgment. 
And so like all of his being perfections, purposes, and promises, like, I don't care if you have the worst thing happen to you or if you have the best thing happen to you, like Rob, you're going to get married. I'm ready. You know, that, it, it is, <laughs> it, it is going to be one of the best days of your life. Yeah. And what, what the right response is, praise God. Amen. And if something tragic happens, like the next day, no matter what it is, you'd say, praise God. I remember, um, there's a guy that, uh, used to be in our group, but then he moved away. Uh, but we still meet on a weekly basis. We have a little short phone call and, uh, <laughs> I was kind of joking about like whether or not I want to go to seminary or not. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, and we were talking like, Hey, weighing both options. And then I just kind of flippantly said, well, I could also die tomorrow. And then none of this deliberation would matter. And he said, he, he said something that at the time kind of cut me off guard, but he was absolutely right. He's like, Jeff, if you died tomorrow, that'd be good for you because you'd be with Jesus. And then, and then it went even farther. It's like, oh yeah, but it, it, it would not be good for Amy. He's like, no, it'd be good for her too. It'd be really hard, but it would be good for her too, knowing her husband's with Christ. And it just struck me like, man, that's absolutely right. To consider death is the end of my race, the race that I've been running. It's like you get to the finish line and that's it. Yeah. Like it, it, that's, that's it. Um, what a, what a good thing. Wanting, not something we want to accelerate because it, it's God to decide how many days we have, but it, it's the right response. God, it's a good thing that you, that your will has been carried out. Even though like dying is what we're pretty much all fleshly terrified of. <laughs> Man. Well, Jeff, that's, that's good. And guys, that's pretty much all the time we have for today. I think one of the things we, we want to leave with you guys is this, and this is just um, a quick excerpt from the end of this section of the chapter of chapter 11, specifically on unchangeableness. It's what Wayne Grudem says. If God is not unchanging, then the whole basis of our faith begins to fall apart and our understanding of the universe begins to unravel. This is because our faith and hope and knowledge all ultimately depend on a person who is infinitely worthy of trust because he is absolutely and eternally unchanging in his being perfections, purposes, and promises. All right, guys, thank you so much for those who have listened to this episode, and we hope you were encouraged and equipped in truth. Please share this with a friend or a loved one so that others can be reminded of God's truth today. As always, thanks for listening to the Culture of Truth podcast. Until next time. See you later, everyone. Peace.